Could you just turn, if you've got your Bibles, turn to uh, James chapter 3. And we're going to do a sermon in two parts this morning. We, I'm going to speak for a few moments now. Then we're going to go into breakout rooms uh, for two or three minutes. Just ask a couple of questions. And then I'm going to come back and, um, uh, and speak for another couple of minutes. And then we're going to have communion together. Um, uh, Jerry's going to lead us in communion. So that will be, be really good. Um, <clears throat> we come to... Uh, the next passage in uh, the book of James that we were looking at, and um, it's, some, it's quite interesting. It's James chapter 3. It's a passage all about uh, taming the tongue, about what we say and how we say it really matters. It's um, a passage that talks about wisdom from above. You know, if we want wisdom, we need to know what, what it looks like from God's perspective. And then also there's a, a section called a warning against worldliness, about how we might have accepted you know, the world's thinking and the world's attitudes rather than God's word. So um, I'm not going to read um, all of uh, James. We're going to start James 3. Uh, I'm not going to read all of the verses because um, it's quite a long uh, section, but I'm just going to start. I'll tell you exactly where we are. So if we go to James chapter 3, uh, I'm reading from the, the ESV version of the Bible, and I'll start at uh, verse 4 of uh, chapter 3. Good. Hope we're all ready. Off we go. Look at the ships. Though they are so large, they are driven by and driven by strong winds. They are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member of the body, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest fire is set ablaze by such a, such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. A world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our, our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. It's not the most encouraging verses so far that we're getting there. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. And with it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. And then if we uh, drop down to verse 13, and this is the section talking about godly wisdom. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy or selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And then going to chapter four, and we'll go to start at verse four. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? 
Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it's to no purpose that the scripture says, he, as in God, yearns jealousy, uh, jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell within us. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before your Lord and he will exalt you. It's quite a long passage uh, to have read there. And um, to be honest, sometimes you think, oh, that's perhaps not the most encouraging verses to read but these are the next verses in James and we're looking at them but I have found personally the whole series of James just so encouraging so encouraging to hear this this model of how we should live our lives but you know the um the book of James is is not just calling me to live a different way it's not just calling us to behave a different way but it's it's calling us to put our faith in Jesus and then to allow our lives to be changed. And, and yesterday, as Andy talked about earlier, we did hear about Clive. And um, yeah, Clive's life before he was changed was um, you wouldn't you really, really wouldn't want to mess with him. He was probably one of the hard men of Basildon, you know, and he inflicted quite a lot of pain on him. But his life has been dramatically changed. And it, he didn't he didn't change because he thought I must change. He changed because he gave his life to Christ. And, and there's that, that famous quote from Martin Luther who said this, that we're saved by faith alone, but that faith never stays alone. When we give our lives to Jesus, we, we, we naturally, we change. And we can, get, we can get caught up in this trap of thinking, I must behave in a certain way. I must be a really good person to be saved. And, and that is like pretty known as legalism. Or you can go the other way and say, well, it doesn't really matter how I behave because God loves me and he's forgiven me anyway. And that's a, that's another trap that we can get caught up in. And one of the, the early church fathers, a guy called Tertullian, said this, that the just as Jesus was crucified between two thieves, so the gospel of Christ is often crucified between these two wrongs either thinking we have to behave a certain way to be saved or it doesn't matter how we behave because god loves us anyway and we, we must somehow find out a way in the middle of this that is saying no we're gonna we are gonna trust in jesus and then our lives are going to be gloriously changed and transformed so we're going to start just firstly and we're going to look at this whole passage on uh, on wisdom and uh, just understand what wisdom is. And then we're going to go into some uh, groups and just think, where do you need to apply God's wisdom in your life today? I don't know if you ever get to that place where you're thinking, God, I just need your wisdom. I do not know what to do in this situation. I don't know what to do with this difficult person. I don't, want to, I don't know what to do with this difficult situation. I don't know how to speak to God. Please, will you give me your wisdom? Well, it, you will be very pleased to know this morning that the whole idea of wisdom in the Bible is a big deal. There is a whole section of the Bible that talks about wisdom. You know, there's the wisdom literature and it's um, uh, Job, Proverbs, Psalms, Ecclesiastes, Song, Song of Songs. 
and it's talking about God. It God, God is the only wise one. He knows everything. He understands everything. But the best thing of all is, he wants today to impart wisdom to you. He wants to give you wisdom. It's good. All those difficult situations you're facing today, God wants to say to you, I'm going to make you wise. But there is a but to this. <laughs> God's wisdom might not look like the wisdom that you want it to look like. If it was if it was wisdom that was down to me, I think sometimes I would just want to be wise that made me look clever, that made me win a few arguments, that would be experienced to know what to do, that I'd always be able to make the right decisions. I wouldn't, to be honest, I wouldn't mind being wise enough to make quite a lot of money. You know, wisdom to, to get what you want out in life. But God's wisdom, according to these verses, is different. If you look at verse 13, it says this. By his good conduct, let him show works in the meekness of wisdom. Well, I don't know really sure if, if wisdom is meek. What, what does it mean? Verse 17 says this. Verse 17 describes wisdom as pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Can I just ask for a show of hands? Do you think meekness, do you think the world would see meekness as another form of weakness? Yeah, anybody agree? It's great. I really like sitting, I'm sitting in Cameron's room at the moment, talking to a screen and then you're all responding, it's great, so thank you. But I think that the world sees meekness as really weak. But Jesus turned everything on its head and he said, no, if you want to be wise, there is a meekness that I will give you. What did Jesus say on the Sermon on the Mount? He said this, blessed are the meek, the gentle, for they will inherit the earth. And, and I just need to look, I don't think that meekness comes from a place of cowardice or passivity, but it comes from a place of trusting our heavenly father. And, and the example I thought was, you know, when Jesus was facing Pontius Pilate and, you know, the day before he was killed and there was this moment when Pontius Pilate said to him, come on, Jesus, tell me, who really are you? Tell me what, what I can do to sort of like to let you off this situation. And what did Jesus do? He meekly said nothing. He said nothing because he silenced his mouth because he trusts. He trusted in his heavenly father. In that situation, meekness looked like Jesus, like saying nothing. And so you, you could summarize these like words by saying that the biblical wisdom, the wisdom that God demonstrates, the wisdom that God wants to impart to you today is not a wisdom that will just make you look good, that will help you solve every problem in the world, that will make you win arguments, will make you financially shrewd, or will make you rich. But this, biblical wisdom instead is this. It is being pure, it is being loving, and it is being good. 
And that is how the Bible always defines biblical wisdom. What is it to be pure, loving and good? And, and you might think, God, help me, help me in this situation at work. You know, I was talking with a friend um, the other day and she's had to move her house. She had to move where she lives because she's got a neighbour who lives next door to her who always plays music really, really loudly. And they just can't, they can't, they can't do it. They can't live. They can't do. So in the end, they've got to move. And, you, and she's thinking, what is the wise thing to do in this situation? Now, we don't, I don't know the situation that all of us different face, face. You don't know the situations that I face. But what we do know is this, that biblical wisdom looks like this. It is pure. It is loving. And it is good. And so let's go back to part two, these verses of um, that are just uh, from James. And it's we look at these the two passages, uh, the, the taming of the tongue and a warning against uh, worldliness. And basically it's saying that that words matter. What we say, what we say about ourselves, what we say about others, what we say about the church, what we say about Jesus, it really matters. And, and I know that in, in society there is a real battle for words going on at the moment and sometimes you know it's hard to keep track of what we what we can say and what words we can't use and I guess if we're ever in those moments there we need to be asking Jesus and saying Jesus would you give me wisdom you know would you help me help me to know what is what is pure and what is loving and what is good but these verses they talk about the they use an illustration about saying you know that our tongue is such a small part of our body but it has this can have this massive impact and it says you know use the illustration of such a small spark and start a fire that then causes a forest to go ablaze and also it talks about how such a small thing as a, such a small rudder can steer an enormous ship and i don't know if you've ever seen underneath uh, a big ship but it, the, the rudders are so small compared to the size of the ship but it's the same with our words and our tongues such a small part but it can have a massive, massive impact, what we say and how we say it. And clearly, James must have been addressing a situation in the local church where there were disagreements, where there were harsh words. And he's just saying, look, what we say and how we say, say it, it is absolutely vital. Uh, somebody last uh, this week sent me an article, I think it came from the Daily Express, uh, of, I didn't really know the Daily Express still was operating as a newspaper. It might just be online. But it said that the approval rating of churches has gone up significantly through the pandemic because of all the work the churches have been doing. It used to be that 20% that, that of non-Christians thought the churches were doing a good job in the community. And it's now gone up to 34%, which is good. We do, you know, we want people to see that the church is doing something. But it can't just be good actions, you know. We also need to have words. We need to be able to use words. And the reason we need words is because being a Christian isn't just about doing good things. If it was, we could just say, look, this is what we're doing, just copy us. But Christianity is more than about that. It's about trusting what Jesus has done for us. And actually, we can only explain that with words. That, that's why, that you know, I don't know if you've ever heard the phrase, you know, uh, preach the gospel and use words if necessary. I don't know if you've ever heard that and lots of people say, oh, that's really helpful. And it is helpful, 
But it is also very misleading because you can't talk about what Jesus has done for you without words, unless you're very, very gifted at miming. But I don't think you can. I don't think you can. You have to use words to explain what Jesus has done for you and to explain his love and his kindness and his grace towards you. And so we have to, to use words. And I think it is it's really interesting that we had this, uh, we, we're looking at this passage this week because I know that like Tim preached last week and I know, and, and I just, trust me, I've had a conversation with Tim, that not everybody agreed with what Tim said when he was preaching last week. And actually there was some, there was some reaction. For example, you know, just then the issue of, of lockdown, Tim mentioned lockdown and, and personally I think I have, I have obeyed most aspects of lockdown. I have occasionally stood closer than two meters to somebody who wasn't in my household. And there was at one point when somebody rang me up and there, I thought I, I just have to go and see this person right now and, and drove quite a few hours to go and see somebody in the middle of lockdown because I thought I, I have to do that. And if I, if I get fined, well, I will take the fine because you, you, you know, sometimes you have to go and do that. But I genuinely, I don't believe that lockdown, that the government has overreached its authority, but it was a passing comment, but I think that's, that's where I'm from. But again, you know, and I just need to let you know, uh, Tim, Tim's there in the call. I, I had a chat with Tim about this, but Tim also mentioned the issue of abortion in passing. And I know that this caused the reaction amongst some people. And, and I know it caused the reaction because, not least amongst my own household, because I live with my wife, I live with two adult daughters, and I live with a female lodger. And Sunday lunch was interesting because we, we had some interesting discussions afterwards. And there were some other places where we had some really interesting discussions. And I just need to let you know this, that, that I know abortion is a highly emotive subject. I, I understand that. I understand that as a man speaking about abortion, I need to tread very carefully because I know that there is an immense amount of pain and heartache that is involved uh, for, for women with abortion, but also for men as well. I, I'm also aware that, that men will so often walk away from an unwanted pregnancy. But women can't do that. They have to face up to something. They have to come to it. And, and they will make decisions, you know, the lifetime of which the, the consequences will last for a lifetime. And we need to just acknowledge that. Be really open and say, this is the reality of this situation that we're dealing with. And, and I'm also aware of very, very dear friends uh, whose lives are very different now because of the decision that they made years ago. I know that. They never, they never almost sort of like are able to, to move on from decisions that they have made in the past. And so in, in some ways I am, you know, in, in many ways, Tim, I'm so grateful that you mentioned it last week because it's caused quite a lot of discussion and it's caused some people to come and talk about it. And, and in some ways I realized that my responsibility, I've been perhaps not responsible enough because I haven't spoken about this issue of a, of a of abortion in a way that is right uh, for us and makes sense for us here at Trinity. Uh, perhaps we haven't talked about it, you know, enough. 
with grace and kindness. And so I just want to like say really clearly here now that that God abhors all sin. He abhors all sin. But society's attitude towards a bit towards abortion, I would say, is one of the great sins of our time. It it is, you know. And if let me just read uh, Psalm 139 for us. And again, you know, we're gonna we're gonna spend some time, you know, like praying into this. I'm not doing this lightly, but I think actually we need to we need to address this. Psalm 139 says this: For you. Uh, for you formed my inner parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb, and I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when they were as yet none of them. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. We, we just need to, to understand that... Oh, by the way, there was a, one of those verses... I used one of the verses from the NLT in there as well. We, we just need to, to understand that Jesus and God and the Spirit created us in our mother's wombs, knitted us together. He had a plan for us. He loved us. And sanctity of life is absolutely one of the core aspects of what it is to be a Christian. That we we love any any life. It doesn't matter whether it's just been conceived. It doesn't matter whether it's just the day before it's born. But no, life is absolutely vital. I do think though that if we if we only point out the sin of abortion, it it can leave us sometimes like you know if you ever saw a one-armed bird flapping around, you know, it wouldn't get very far. It'd be really unstable and. But I think if we just point out the sin, that, no, that we become a little bit like a one-armed bird flapping around. But my heart is, we need to be wise in this. And we need to ask God, come and show me. And, and so this is what I think wisdom would look like for us. Is one, and, and I'm addressing I'm addressing this, I hope it's not out of context, but it's because we, we looked at it yesterday. But the, I think these verses really lend ourselves to being able to speak words of grace and then the other the section about you know not becoming unduly influenced by the world my, my heart for response to be with this that that we must be empowered to show mercy because mercy triumphs over judgment we must learn that anybody who's who's been affected by abortion directly or indirectly, or because they feel that they must, they must get, be engaged with things, we must be kind and gentle and merciful. And, and many of us may have had direct uh, contact with issues of abortion, or we may people who, you know, our friends, we've walked with our friends through issues like this, but we have to have an attitude of mercy and kindness. What did Jesus do for us while we were still sinners? 
he died for us. He didn't, he didn't wait for me to change before he died. While I was steeped in sin, he showed mercy. He showed mercy for me. And we need to be the people that will take initiative and to show God's mercy to people. So firstly, what I'd like us to do is to be empowered to show a, a spirit of mercy. The second thing is we must be empowered to act, to stand with women so that they can care for a new baby, <laughs> to do whatever we can to show that there is another way. And that is why I just, I absolutely love what, what is happening in things like baby basics. I don't know how, how we've affected women's lives, but we, we keep hearing reports of people saying, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And there are so many other things that we can do. We need to be looking at things like, you know, fostering. You know, what, what would we, how could we get involved in adoption? There are so many things. So we need to be empowered to be merciful. We need to be empowered to act. But we do need to be empowered, my friends, to speak up, to show God's wisdom in meekness, to be able to say to people with kindness and gentleness, all those verses that it talks about in verse 17, saying, this isn't God's way. <laughs> this isn't God's way. You know, and if you look and you, how did Jesus spoke to that, the woman he met at the well? He was, he was at the well, this woman came up, you know, and he said, look, you're not living your real life right, are you? You've had five husbands and the woman and the man that you're with now, he's not your husband either. But Jesus said the truth, spoke the truth to that woman in such a way that she went away and said to all her friends who probably sort of like agreed with her lifestyle, to all her, you have to come and listen to what Jesus is saying. You must come and listen to it. And so what I want to say is that, you know, sometimes if you if we reacted to maybe some of the, st the statistics on abortion that Tim mentioned last week, and they are shocking. You know, this the other section, the last section that we read is how much have we been influenced by the world? I just need to ask you that question. When we were having a discussion yesterday, how much have we allowed the world's view to shape our thinking rather than what? God is saying. In verse, the, the, those last few verses, let me just go back to them. It says this. Um, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And then, it, so I think we, we need to be the people who are courageous, who are courageous to stand firm in what God is saying. But we need to do it with wisdom. And wisdom from the Bible, which is this, is pure, is loving, and is good. I'm going to pray for us. I just want us to ask, you know, if we need to be so careful. that These verses obviously are clearly talking about when there was a disagreement within the church. And we just need to be the people who are the most loving. You know, and actually, if you, if you read the last few verses, let me just go into the last few verses of James 5, just before we finish. And we take communion is this <clears throat> do not speak evil against one another the one who speaks evil against another uh, somebody else in the church speaks evil against um speaks evil against the law and judges the law 
But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and who is able to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbour? My beloved friends, let's be a church that, that operates in this biblical wisdom. Wisdom is defined as being pure and loving and good.